Well, we continue in worship now by turning our attention to God's word. And this morning we are looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we will mainly be focusing on verses 3 to 5. But we will go ahead and read out the first five verses of chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab that and turn to Galatians chapter 1. And before I read it out, let me pray and ask God's help. Father, we do ask that you would flood our hearts this morning with the goodness of Christ. Father, if there be any pride in us that needs to be convicted, we pray that you would do that work. We pray that you would humble us so that we might have eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray this in the name of Christ and for your glory. Amen. Amen. We're looking at Galatians chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, this is God's word. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, this morning, as we have turned to Paul's letter to the Galatians, we are considering together God's real gospel. The reason for a title like that is because Paul makes it very clear early on in this little letter that his reason for writing to the Galatians in the first place is because there were two realities that were becoming apparent in the early church and are still true in our own day, that when these two realities are mixed together, they were as destructive as fire and gasoline. The first reality was that almost from the moment that God's real gospel began to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth after the resurrection of Jesus, other teachers were sprouting up all over the place and trying to distort the message and so diminish the glory of Christ. And this was happening in the churches in Galatia, as you can see in verse 7 of chapter 1. But the second reality, the one that Paul says in verse 6, he found to be so astonishing or shocking, was the reality that every human heart, even the Christian one that has already believed the gospel— has a stupendous and ongoing capacity to be persuaded away from the wonderful and extravagant message of God's saving grace in Christ and instead turn to a different message and therefore a different supposed Savior. And so Paul has as his aim in his letter to the Galatians to re-persuade these believers whom he deeply loves back to Christ And his strategy for doing so is to lay before them once again God's real gospel. And as Paul does this, we actually come to learn something about the nature of the Christian life that is incredibly relevant for us today, especially given the last few months with all of its difficulties. And that reality is that the whole Christian journey is a battle for our heart's persuasion. And where the Christian accesses the persuasive staying power that is needed for the long haul of the narrow way is through a constant rediscovering of how astonishingly good Jesus 
actually is. And so, even though many of us this morning would claim to already believe the message of the gospel, and even though the tagline of our church is proclaiming the gospel, given the experience of the Galatian Christians, we know that the way God will keep us in Christ is by remembering over and over again what attracted us to him in the first place. And so that is the task before us from these verses of Galatians 1 this morning, that instead of making the astonishing decision to turn away from Christ, we will once again rediscover how astonishingly good Jesus really is. And the only message in all the world that reveals that to us is God's real gospel. Now, before Paul gets into the message of the gospel in verse 3, He wants our confidence in the authority and the truthfulness of this message to be strengthened. And so he says in verse 1, as he introduces himself, that he is an apostle, which means that he had been sent by the risen Jesus himself. Paul is trying to make very clear that this gospel message wasn't something that any person or group had any influence over originating. But Paul wants us to confidently know that this message is true for all people at all places in all times because it comes from God himself. And so what is the message? What is God's real gospel? This is what we will spend the bulk of our time on this morning. From verses three to five, uh, we could summarize that God's real gospel is the message that God is forever glorified By rescuing sinners through the sacrificial death of Christ, all of which is by his grace. I love that sentence. Maybe we should consider a new tagline for our church. College church proclaiming the gospel. College church proclaiming the message that God is forever glorified. By rescuing sinners through the sacrificial death of Christ, all of which is by his grace. We'd have to make the font a little bit smaller on the signs. So there's four phrases in that definition from these three verses, and I give it to you in reverse order from the way that Paul gives it. So as we consider each one of these, I'm going to reverse it again and start from the back and work to the front. So first, God's real gospel is all is entirely from the day that we meet Jesus by faith and are born again until the day that we see him face to face, all of it is by his grace. In verse three, Paul gives a greeting here that he gives every single time he writes one of his letters in the New Testament from the book of Romans all the way to the book of Philemon. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems as if every time the Apostle Paul picks up his pen to speak of and on behalf of Christ, the central theme of grace is gripping his mind. Now for his letter to the Galatians specifically, Paul knows that what is really at stake as to whether or not we will be persuaded away from Christ or drawn to him is whether or not we buy into the idea that God's real gospel in its essence is all of grace. So what is grace? Well, grace by its essence of being unmerited favor from God means that it cannot be earned. 
And in this sense, we can say that grace can have a silencing effect. The world's way of operating, the way that comes most naturally for all of us to interrelate with one another, is the way of earning and deserving. This is the mother tongue of the world. If I think that I have earned something, then it stands to reason that I also equally believe that I can demand that you owe it to me. This, of course, makes sense economically in the world of contracts and keeping our word. But this way of operating tends to lend itself towards disaster, disastrous effects relationally. Suppose the kind of marriage wherein every time the husband or wife does something to serve the family in some kind of good works or sacrificial way. And as they do that in the back of their mind and heart, they make an imaginary deposit into some imaginary piggy bank that only they know how much is actually in there. And then suppose that a time comes when that spouse, call him spouse A, is ready to cash in on some of those stored up credits and begins to demand what they think they deserve from spouse B. But to their surprise, spouse B says that they are currently not accepting the currency of spouse A. Operating relationally with an earn and deserve mentality has disastrous effects. We could also take the way that we naturally, naturally relate to our children. How do we respond in moments when a child comes to us and in our minds we think that that child has an account of 10 whatevers in our imaginary piggy bank, but then does something that is according to our own measurement going to cost them 100 How will we ask the child to make up the difference? You see, apart from grasping divine grace, the reality that God is good to us in Christ because it is who he is and not because we've earned it, without being astonished by that reality, we will continuously stay imprisoned within the utterly hopeless and exhausting man-made system of earning and deserving. And sadly, we will constantly demand that those closest to us relate to us according to that system as well. But grace cannot be earned, which means that it has a silencing effect. No one can ever demand their rights or look Jesus in the face and tell him that he owes us anything. Jesus comes to us with his open and salvation-bringing arms because he is gloriously loving in ways the world could never even dream up. Grace cannot be earned. But grace also, by its essence of being something that is totally received, cannot be added to. And in this sense, we can say that grace can have a stripping effect We can say that according to God's real gospel, that grace is absolutely free and we would be absolutely right. And we can also say that there is one term that grace demands from us if we are to experience it. 
And that is if grace is going to move into our hearts, then it demands that all other objects of merit move out and stay out. If Christ would be seen by us as astonishingly good this morning, then we must be confronted with the essence of grace, which says if Christ would be ours, he will not come in and make roommates with any of our self-righteousness, no matter how small they may be. He doesn't let us keep our self-glorifying trophies on the shelves of our hearts. If we would experience the freeing presence of the Spirit of Christ this morning, then we must be willing to allow him to come into our hearts with his wrecking ball of grace that stands at the ready, aimed at every little tower of Babel that we have built in our own names and to our own glory. There is a stripping effect to grace that says, to every person on the planet that if you want to know God and experience the good and freeing presence of Christ in your life during your short journey on the earth, then you must be willing to wake up up to the reality that the world in which you are living in is imprisoned by the sinful heart and no amount of achievement, no matter how grand we think it is, will ever be strong or worthy enough to get us out. This is why, as they say, it is the empty hand of faith that reaches up from the desperate sinner. And finally, after grace has stripped it down, begins to have an experience of God's grace that reveals Jesus to be so astonishingly good. John Newton, who was a great sinner, came to understand that the essence of God's real gospel was that grace cannot be earned or added to and that his salvation, like ours, from beginning to end is all of grace. And so he encourages us this morning through many dangers, toils, and snares, Christian You have already come. The grace of Christ revealed in God's real gospel has brought you safe this far. And grace will lead you home. But we also must notice that in verse 4, the Apostle Paul makes plain that God's real gospel, which is all by grace, is accomplished through the sacrificial death of of Christ. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Though we are often tempted to let the preaching of Christ crucified strike us as unnecessarily redundant or in some way incapable of astonishing us again, When we begin to look at the cross through the lens of grace, what we begin to understand is that the cross, the essence of God's grace, was manifested and accomplished. This means that God's grace cannot be accessed without first going through the cross. 
And it means that the cross has opened wide the door to God's grace. When we look to the cross of Christ, what we see is what we have rightly earned falling upon the person who least deserved it in all of human history. If we want to know the moment when the world's idea of earning and deserving was flipped on its head, we need look no further than the cross of Christ. Christ was there on the cross with the weight and consequence of sin being placed upon him as a willing substitute for you. The one who didn't deserve it was dying for the ones who did. I also must add, though, that if we look at the cross of Christ through the lens of grace, knowing that grace cannot be added to, then we also must say that Jesus is not just a sacrificial Savior, which he is, but that he is an all-sufficient Savior, which has some astonishingly good implications for those who trust in him. If his death on the cross is sufficient to comprehensively save us, which it is, then that means that when we wake up tomorrow morning, before we even think about doing something bad, we can rest assured and have the peace of God and the joy of Christ in our soul, no matter what else is going on in our life, because we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus has saved us by his grace and his precious blood is sufficiently able to cover us on our best days and on our worst. A couple of years ago, I discovered John Bunyan and if you've ever had the opportunity to have that wonderful experience, you will know uh, how amazing it is to learn about him and his heart for Christ and his writings. One book that he wrote that was particularly encouraging for me was his own autobiography of coming to know Christ and then his life of following him. And the book in and of itself is an amazing book. But the title is pretty stinking good as well. He titles his Christian autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. You see, for John Bunyan, he had come to a point in his life when God's real gospel finally revealed to him how astonishingly good his Savior really is. And as he knew Christ and thought of his own life and tried to sum it up in a title for his autobiography, all he could come up with is grace abounding to the chief of sinners. Could you say that about your own life this morning, Christian? Whether you are seven years old or 87 years old, 
when you look back over the course of your life, all of the decisions, good and not so good, that have been made, and wondering down in your soul if grace is sufficient, if Christ has accomplished your salvation, can you look at him this morning and say, my life is all about God's grace abounding to me, the chief of sinners. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, God gives and he gives and he gives again. Amen. Well, God's real gospel, which is all by grace, is accomplished through the sacrificial and all-sufficient death of Christ, and it achieves the rescuing of sinners. Paul writes in verse 4 that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us or rescue us from the present evil age. Now, it may be clear enough in light of all that we have already discussed that what is actually achieved through God's real gospel is a rescue. Remembering that this is all of grace and accomplished through the cross of Christ, we may say that this rescue is entirely achieved by someone who was outside of our desperate state and yet had the strength and the power and the love to enter in, pick us up, and carry us out. And Christ has done that through the cross and rescued us from the present evil age, not so that we would have lives where the circumstances are always according to how we would want them to be, but so that we could live free by his spirit and according to his grace. And so to understand God's real gospel and be astonished by the goodness of Christ, we have to reach a point when we feel as though we have exhausted all of our own personal resources in trying to rescue and deliver ourselves from the pain and the misery that floods our lives in this sin-infected world and come to a point where we say, there is nothing left for me to do except to call on one who is stronger than I and able to lift me out. Later on in his life, the Apostle Paul would write this to the church at Corinth. But he, being Jesus, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so says Paul, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, and stay-at-home orders, and social distancing. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so, Christian, are you aware this morning of your own weakness? Or to you who may still be unconvinced of Christ, have you yet reached a point in your life where you are ready to lift an empty hand up that has been stripped by grace and call out for help beyond yourself and your own resources? Beloved, Jesus is standing at the ready to show you how astonishingly good he is if only in humble prayer you would call upon him. So God's real gospel, which is all by grace and accomplished through Christ's sacrificial and all-sufficient death on the cross, achieves the rescuing of sinners, and finally, verse 5, brings glory to God forever and ever. Amen. If there was some expectation that God had of his people, that in order for us to reach the promised land of eternal life with him, that we would have to complete part of the journey across the desert wilderness by our own strength and willpower. And if we were able to do it, when we would come to the end of our lives and stand before him, how heartily would we sing of God's glory? God's real gospel is all by grace accomplished through the sacrificial and all-sufficient death of Christ which achieved the rescuing of sinners and because all of this is his doing alone then even now Even in the desert, even when it feels like our lives are going around and around in circles, even if the sun feels hot and the sand is hurting our feet, the Lord Jesus Christ not only was my salvation, and the Lord Jesus Christ not only will be my salvation. But now and forevermore, the Lord is my salvation. 
Jesus is eager to be the strength to our weakness, the joy to our despair, and the peace to our chaos. So will you let him be all of this for you according to his grace? When we turn to God's real gospel, what we see is that we are able to constantly rediscover how astonishingly good Jesus is. And therefore, if you see it, then you can sing now and forever with all your might. Glory to the King of angels. Glory to the church's King. Glory to the King of nations. Heaven and earth, your praises bring. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do need your help in order to see Christ for who he really is. And so, God, I pray that you would be so gracious to those who are watching and listening now that your spirit would convince them that they would rediscover that the salvation that you have offered to us in Christ is now and forever astonishingly good. And so as we follow Christ, God, we pray that you would keep us on the narrow way by continually persuading our hearts that Christ is a good and sufficient Savior. Be near to us now, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.